if you have data that you are not under any legal obligation to retain, so that could be a, just a retention law or rule, or it could be a legal hold, or it could be maybe your own internal policies. But once the data is outside that, there's tremendous amount of risk by keeping it. And a lot of the privacy laws actually are now looking at what's your retention policy and, and what are your disposition activities. It's not just everybody has a retention policy, right? The key is you actually have to act on it. You have to have the guts to push the deletion button. Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for another episode. And today I'm going to reconnect with someone who is really one of the first people I've met in compliance. It's Bill Polanco. We met many years ago that I'm sure we'll touch on in this podcast in Portland. Bill, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you for having me. And it is great to reconnect, Tom. So, Bill, could you tell our audience about your professional background? Sure. I currently am the chief marketing officer for Xtero, which is the leader in legal GRC software. Prior to Xtero, though, I had a whole series of professional experiences running marketing teams for typically small software companies, helping build them as they grew and established leadership in their various markets. It's not always been startups. I did have some long tenures with companies like Intel and Oracle early in my career. So understand the dynamics of large multinational global organizations, as well as the uh, four-person startup all the way to you know mid-sized organizations. But from a compliance perspective, as you mentioned, you and I first got to know each other back precursor to what is now Navex Global, which was Ethics Point. And we had a lot of conversations around FCPA and ethics hotlines and that sort of thing, but now very focused on what we've categorized as legal GRC. So could you tell us a little bit more about that for our listeners who may not be aware of what legal GRC focuses on? Sure. So my view, and and I think it's supported by a number of analysts and others, is that GRC is a very large, almost umbrella type concept. I mean, certainly organizations have to worry about their governance, risk, and compliance activities and responsibilities. But the way I look at it is it's not just one broad category. I think you have IT GRC, HR GRC, finance GRC. From a legal perspective, legal has to be involved in all the different GRC activities by definition. C is compliance. You're complying with something. Legal is best able to offer advice on what needs to be done. But within the legal department, there are a number of things that people who report to legal have to do. So while HR needs to be worried about certain compliance or IT or whatever, they would not be the right people to comply with regulations that apply to the operations of legal. A great example of this is e-discovery. If you and I ever were to get into civil litigation, The law says we have to go find any relevant information and after reviewing it, ultimately turn it over to each other. And that's part of our legal system. If you 
think about the increased scrutiny on privacy over the last, say, 10 years, starting with GDPR, but certainly most countries have privacy rules, and we're certainly seeing them in the U.S. on a state level. But there are things that privacy organization, which typically either reports up to legal or has a very, very strong dotted line, has to do. And legal has to ensure that those tasks or responsibilities are fulfilled. Another example might be a data breach. Nobody would ever consider a chief legal officer or GC as the appropriate person to manage IT security or IT. But if a breach or an incident is detected, while the appropriate people are running down the what happened, how do we fix it, what was the exposure, legal has to understand, was there personally sensitive data compromised? And if so, what's the scope of it? And what jurisdictions do those individuals reside in because there are reporting notification requirements? So you start thinking about all of these things that people in legal operations, in compliance, in privacy have to do that really fall under the legal umbrella. So while we say that there are legal aspects of GRC, we believe that there is a subcategory that is very specific to the legal department, which is legal GRC. So one of the reasons I wanted to visit with you and one of the things that I find so interesting about Xtero is, and you touched on this, you guys can help companies literally from the boardroom down to almost a minuscule tactical level of document holes and pretty much everything in between. Would that be a fair assessment? It would. And it's interesting. Our, our founder and CEO background was he had a master's in computer science and he was working with insurance companies and large financial institutions in the IT arena, helping to hook up different applications for different departments. And one of the things he noticed was that Legal didn't have that platform. You know, in sales and marketing, we now have Salesforce or their competitors. In application development, you had IBM and others that had those things. You have financial products, you have HR platforms, but legal didn't have anything. And so his vision was always to be able to deliver that type of software application. But he bootstrapped the company. And so he had to focus very minutely on solving one big problem. And for us, it was e-discovery. But the thing that we always saw was that it all comes down to data. Do you know where your data is? Do you know which person in your organization owns that data? Do you know what regulations apply to that data? Do you know what third parties have access to that data? And can you defensively prove the integrity of that data so that you can prove that it hasn't changed from the moment that it either was brought into your organization or created all the way through disposition. And so we look at all the different activities, starting with understanding where your data is and then being able to connect to that data because you can then respond to requests for that data. You know, you talked about document review. You think about it from an e-discovery perspective, obviously, if we're in litigation and we have a dispute and the law says I have to send you all of the relevant information, I'm going to want to review that information prior to sending it to you, right? I want to make sure that there's nothing that's under attorney-client privilege. I want to ensure there's nothing under confidentiality, and I don't want to oversend you stuff. So you've got document review there. Well, that same process is required 
if there's an internal investigation for employee misconduct. It's the same thing if you're complying with the data subject access request requirement. So if a employee or a consumer has the right under the various different legislation to say, what data do you have on me? Well, I need to go find that data. I need to collect it. I need to be able to review it to make sure that if Tom Fox is actually asking for the data, that it really is Tom's information. I also have to have the ability to redact because if Tom is sending an email to Bill and he wants to see what that is, well, Bill's email address is there. So that's obviously PII. So I have to redact out anything that isn't Tom. Similarly, I, you know, I gave the example of the data breach. I need to be able to look at data that's potentially compromised to determine, is there any PII or personally sensitive data there? Because then I need to go eventually, potentially make notifications or, or reports to the various data authorities. So if you think about that, you've got the same thing that needs to happen, but in very different business cases and very different use cases. So we look at it as if we start at that granular level of understanding the data and being able to connect to all those different data sources, we then can help our clients respond to requests for that data in whatever form they take. I guess what I heard was process. 100%. Process, yeah, cuts across. It's not really what the issue is. It's the process identifying the data, securing the data, bringing the data forward, putting it at a data lake or other place that can be then analyzed, looked at, or even just held there, and then taking appropriate action from there. Bill, it also strikes me that although we're primarily talking about GRC, data governance, data security, data cleansing even, is a key component of ESG. Certainly in the G part, I would say even in the S part, but that the management of your data is a mandatory step under ESG. And that was what I was trying to get to in rolling it up to the board because the board has an oversight role. So they need to make certain that the data is governed in a way that responds to regulators, responds to privacy requirements, yet you can still use it. I think that's really key. And we look at it as not just knowing what your data is, having that data inventory and knowing that, but within the data inventory, understanding what regulations apply to that data from a retention perspective and disposition, right? Because you think about it from an ESG perspective and minimizing risk. If you have data that you are not under any legal obligation to retain, so that could be a, just a retention law or rule, or it could be a legal hold, or it could be maybe your own internal policies. But once the data is outside that, there's tremendous amount of risk by keeping it. And a lot of the privacy laws actually are now looking at what's your retention policy and, and what are your disposition activities? It's not just everybody has a retention policy, right? The key is you actually have to act on it. You have to have the guts to push the deletion button. But when you have the, the processes and the technology that enable you to confidently push that button, you're going to minimize your risk and you're going to ensure compliance across a whole swath of regulations. Bill, when you and your colleagues are visiting with folks in the corporate world or perhaps even in the, the legal world, are you talking to IT folks or are you talking to the lawyers or compliance professionals or others that have to use the data or is it a variety of 
of that sort of targeted customer or client approach? It, it absolutely is a uh, variety of different people. So uh, Xtero today has broad capabilities in a couple of big buckets from a e-discovery, privacy, um, forensic investigation, incident response, and then cybersecurity compliance. So you can imagine if you're talking about incident response, you're going to be speaking much more to a, a more technical IT or security or part of the organization, but legal cares about it because they have to comply with reach laws, right? If you're talking about e-discovery, you're talking to legal, legal ops, the GC, but you're never going to, as a technology vendor, just talk to the users. You always have to think about how are you treating the data? Are you complying with all the different security rules, both internal and external? So we talk with compliance, with privacy, with IT, sometimes even HR from an internal investigations perspective. So it's a wide swath, but we think ultimately the person responsible for overseeing this is going to be the GC or CLO. One of the things that the regulators in my world of the FCPA have clearly communicated, and here I'm talking about the Department of Justice, is they want documents secured and they want documents turned over quickly if they're what they call hot docs or relevant documents to their investigations. Have you been able to help clients fulfill their regulatory obligations, not really around data privacy, but doing the things the DOJ has said, which is securing the documents and then identifying those that might be relevant to turn over to the regulators to try to garner greater cooperation credit? Certainly, we're not a security company from a, an archive or something like that, but to the extent that data is required by one of the different governmental agencies, that's exactly what our e-discovery product does. We're going to go find the relevant information. We're going to store it in our electronically stored information database, our ESI vault is what we call it. And we're going to give the organization the ability to very quickly confirm that that data is what is being asked of them and then be able to produce it over to the requesting party. So let me turn now to data privacy bucket or one of the key areas that Xero helps clients with. And here I want to zero in on the issue of consent because obtaining consent to store data, uh, certainly release data, perhaps even look at data is a prevalent feature of GDPR laws in the EU and the United Kingdom, perhaps not so much here, but every multinational company faces that. I was wondering how you help clients with the issue of consent. Yeah. And I'll just gently disagree a little bit. It's not just GDPR. What we've seen in California with CCPA and now CPRA, the California State AG recently leveled a pretty major fine against a major retailer for violating CCPA. And it all had to do with consent. But I think one of the big issues that people haven't thought about, and quite candidly, I think you're right to focus on GDPR because here in the States, we don't really care about privacy the way that the rest of the world does. We say we do, but we don't. And I think that what's happened is a lot of organizations, even the most well-intentioned in the U.S., have taken more of a checkbox type approach. Okay, we have a consent product. We're good. 
okay, we say that we have the ability to fulfill a data subject access request. Now, whether they do or not at a real enterprise level is something else. But I think a lot of the consent solutions out there today really are focused on cookies. It's browser on your PC or your laptop. But over 60% of internet usage is on mobile phones, and mobile phones don't have cookies. We're in what a lot of organizations are calling the post-cookie environment. And what the laws really say is you have to be able to get consent across everything, even if that's in-store, it's mobile, it's collecting data at a trade show, it's any data that you're collecting, you have to be able to have the consent and you have to be able to enable the consumer to revoke it at any point. And you have to be able to demonstrate that. And I think that that's one of the things when companies look at our consent product, they get a good level of comfort knowing that we are looking at the process of obtaining consent across any different medium, but also being very clear and giving very easy access to revoke or tailor the type of consent that the consumer is granting the organization. The types of customers and clients that you have, we've talked a lot about law firms and law firms, for better or worse, are run by lawyers. And I was doing a pod this morning with another lawyer and we were laughing about how lawyers are perhaps the most conservative professional service there is. And we're not the slowest to adapt. We're the last to adapt. Do you find that to be true or have lawyers finally understood their obligations around GRC as a law firm and are taking the steps that many corporations have really led on? Well, it's interesting because from an external perspective, we've always focused on the in-house legal department because when we were just an e-discovery company, we looked at the efficiencies and productivity and control that you would get if you brought the e-discovery process in-house as opposed to outsourcing it to third-party service providers or, or your outside counsel. What we are seeing, though, from a law firm perspective is a lot of the law firms are recognizing the need for the combination of people process technology to address what is now, you know, especially on the privacy side, issues that are being enforced. So we're seeing a lot of the law firms providing really excellent advice to their in-house counsel clients on things that they need to do differently. But there's a reason why our CFO was hooking up applications for every other department in the organization and saw the opportunity in legal. I think that legal has a well-deserved reputation of being a little bit late to adopt technology. But that being said, the rise of legal operations over the past 10 years has been honestly astonishing. And it gets to that process orchestration that you talked about, because I think everybody understands that the value of the process orchestration is that you can ensure that different people are doing the same thing the same way every single time. And it gives you that defensibility and it gives you that ability to manage, measure, and optimize your processes. So legal is under the same do more with less that the rest of the organization has been under for 20, 30 years. Well, I'd like to change the focus just a little bit to the Xterra website. And of course, we're going to link to this in the show notes. But one of the things that really impressed me about you guys when I was doing a little research in preparation for this podcast is really the enormous amount of resources available free 
on the website. So you've got blogs, you've got eBooks, you've got webcasts, white papers, and a ton of other stuff. So I have to assume that you're at least partly responsible for this as a CMO, but I just wanted to, to use that as a lead in to ask, why do you make such a wide variety and plethora of resources available? And how does that fit into overall marketing strategy that you espouse? That's a great question. And thank you for noticing it because I am extremely proud of the marketing team and broader colleagues that I have at Xterra. Ultimately, Tom, you're right. I'm a marketer. My job is to make sure that people know who we are and want to buy our products and then turn it over to our sales team. But the reality is nobody's in the market to buy software until the morning that they wake up and decide what I'm doing isn't working for me anymore. I'm not going to be able to convince you to purchase a, a large enterprise application just because I've got the gift of gab. So my philosophy is I want to provide high quality educational content to the people that would ultimately use my products. So if I can help somebody understand how to optimize a data subject access request process or how to conduct a document review more efficiently and help them do their jobs more effectively, and I do that for five years and they are more productive, they're more efficient, and they like the content that we're creating, then ultimately at some point they're going to say, the way we're doing things isn't quite working anymore. And I trust Xterra because they have such good content. I'm going to infer that their products are good. And at that point, I'm sure we're not going to be the only vendor that they're going to compare, but at least we get an opportunity to show them just the value that we provide. So Thought leadership content has always been a real big part of our strategy. And you're right, it's free and it's not overtly marketing. It's not telling you why our products are the best. It's really helping people understand different processes, different topics. We do benchmark surveys. We do case law alerts. We do privacy alerts when there's new changes to the laws. So Thank you for bringing it up because I think our website is a really great place to go get resources that can help people do their job more effectively. Well, I had sort of a bonus question for both of us as we move towards the end, and it's favorite memory of the time we worked together, what we might have intersected on. I can go first if you want to hear mine. It's really two. The first one is the first time I met anyone from Ethics Point, I the reason I was in Portland is my daughter lived in Southern Oregon at the time. So I had to change planes in Portland and I just would take a little bit later flight. And my thought, first thought was, well, I'll just come by the office and meet then president David Childers. And he says, oh, that'd be great. Let's have some lunch. And I get to lunch and it's the whole executive leadership team. And I'm like, hmm, not expecting this. And then the second is, I'm not quite sure who thought of this or how we developed this. But at some point, I started doing lunch and learns with the sales team. And it started out, it was going to be Tom on current events. And it pretty quickly morphed to, Tom, tell us how we sell using these current events. And I really learned a lot from that. And what I learned was, I mean, I suppose you do have to educate your sales folks on current events, but they picked it up immediately. But it was how to translate the legalese or legalisms that had happened in an enforcement action or a DOJ pronouncement into something that could be usable. And it wasn't that the sales guys couldn't understand legal. It was their clients 
really weren't interested, your clients really weren't interested in legal. They were interested in practical. And certainly if there was a legal requirement behind it, that was of some note. But it really helped me to understand what my message needed to be, whether it was to a sales team or whether it was to in-house compliance. So those were really the two things I got out of working with you and your team early on at Ethics Point before you know, the sale or any of that. Yeah, no, I remember that, that lunch. And, but you know, the point you bring up there is like everybody in the software space talks about wanting to be a trusted advisor, but you really do need to understand what is the day-to-day life of our users and what are their concerns. And for me, my favorite, or maybe not favorite memory, but just remembering how we got together, it was that same philosophy that I just talked about was I don't think it's effective for me to say my hotline is better than you know my competitor's hotline. I thought it was much more effective to say, here's Tom Fox, somebody who really is digging into and understands the implications of FCPA and the fact that the DOJ is enforcing it at a level that they never have before. And look at what happened to these other companies just like you who have run afoul of the FCPA. And what do you need need to do to be different and to ensure compliance and to ensure that you're not going to run afoul? And so, in my opinion, getting an expert like yourself to help our customers or our prospective customers to understand at a granular level and at a very approachable level, right? It's like you said, how is this applied to me and what do I need to do differently to ensure that I'm protecting my organization? So, I remember reaching out to you and saying, would you please come on a webinar and help you know, our customers understand this at a better level? And you agreed and we were off and running. Well, Bill, unfortunately now we are at the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, Xterra, or really any of the topics we've touched on in this podcast, what would be the best place or places for them to go? I think obviously we, we hit on it pretty hard is Strongly encourage people to come to the Xtero.com website and look under our resources tab. And I think they'll find an awful lot of content that they may be able to utilize in their day-to-day lives. Want to get a hold of me? Pretty simple. Bill.Pawanka at Xtero.com. I'm also on LinkedIn and would welcome any kind of questions or inquiries that people might have. Well, Bill, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me. It's been great to catch up, learn a little bit more about what you're up to these days. And I hope we can continue this conversation. Likewise. Thank you so much, Tom. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.